The sermon I'm going to read this morning was prepared by the Reverend Dirk Poppy when he was the pastor of the Canadian Reformed Church in Coaldale. He now preaches in the Free Reformed Church of Southern River in Australia. The text for the sermon is Matthew 5, the verses 13 to 16. So let's read that together. Starting at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. After the sermon, we'll respond with the singing of hymn 61, the verses 1 and 2. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we live in a time of serious degeneration in the society around us. The slide into moral and spiritual bankruptcy seems to be picking up pace. Now we do need to take the words of the preacher in Ecclesiastes to heart when he tells us not to always ask why the old days were better than these. Certainly, we must confess there have been many times and places in the world where people have experienced greater ungodliness than we face today. And yet, it is undeniable that over the course of the last several generations, there has been a serious decline in our society's morals and values. Whereas at one time, the majority of people in our nation went to church, now that is no longer the case. People have increasingly made idols out of wealth, sexuality, pleasure, and even the environment itself. The idolatry of singers, actors, sports figures, and politicians has become a deeply entrenched part of our society. Attitudes of true respect for God, for the elderly, for people in authority, and for our neighbor are increasingly fading away. Stores are open on Sundays. Governments, politicians, and ordinary people break their promises with staggering regularity. Business deals are nullified with impunity, and marriage covenants are routinely broken. The basic elements of loyalty and friendship are increasingly scarce in our society. We see fragmentation where there should be deep and meaningful relationships. Our society is being ravaged by rampant godlessness. It is in this context that the Lord tells us about our place in the world. Our Father says to us, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of this world. The Lord has special intentions for us, his people, brothers and sisters. He wants to use his church as a witness to the world. And to that end, he tells us that each one of us, individually and collectively, has a responsibility before him. The pastor has summarized his text under this theme. The Lord calls his children to live in such a way that we may be a witness to the world. We will see how we are to be a witness and why we are to be a witness. The first thing that the Lord says in our text is, you are the salt of the earth. And then our Savior immediately specifies that in order for salt to be salty, or to be useful, it has to be salty. 
If salt has lost its saltiness, it's good for nothing. The only thing left to do is throw it out and trample it underfoot. So we're salt, brothers and sisters. But what does that mean? Today, the most common usage of salt is as a flavoring agent in our food. When we think of salt, we most often think about what's on the shaker and on the dinner table. And certainly that is one of the nuances in our text. But in order to appreciate the significance of this image, it's important to understand several other key roles of salt in the ancient Near East. Salt was an item of paramount importance in the ancient world as a preservative agent. People in the ancient Near East didn't have freezers or refrigerators or even ice readily available. In that hot climate, any leftover meat after an animal was slaughtered would spoil very quickly if it was not preserved with salt. Additionally, salt is critically important for maintaining normal body physiology. In this day and age, we rarely hear about this. We all get plenty of salt, often too much, in our normal diet. But if the salt levels in your body drop too low, it can lead to serious and even life-threatening consequences. The result is that getting salt was a key priority of many people in the ancient Near East. So what does Christ mean when he says that we are the salt of the earth? It seems that our Savior is not just singling out one nuance of the usefulness of salt. Instead, his point seems to be that just as salt has a central role in a person's life, so his disciples have a central role in this world. We have an important task in maintaining the health of the world and preserving and flavoring the world. To get a flavor of what this means in real life, it may be helpful to understand that in several passages in the scriptures, it speaks about the covenant of salt, such as Numbers 18, verse 19, or 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Apparently, when a covenant was made between two people, they used to both sample a small portion of salt. This was a sign of integrity, that they would be faithful to the covenant that they had just made with one another. It is when we have integrity and faithfulness in our dealings with others that we are a preservative agent in our society. To understand this image of us as salt a little more fully, it is probably best to consider it in the, light, in the context of the next image that we're given. In the next verses, Christ says that we are the light of the world, an image more commonly, used more commonly in the scriptures. In Proverbs 4, verse 18 and 19, for example, it says, the path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter until the full day of light. But the, but the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. You all know what it's like to be in the dark, don't you, brothers and sisters? You can't see where you're going. You might stub your toe or trip over something. Especially if you're in unfamiliar circumstances, it can be disorienting and even scary to be in the dark. That is the situation for the wicked. As they go through life, it is as if they are stumbling around in the dark, not knowing what they're tripping, tripping over or smashing into. They never know what they're going to, when they're going to get into more trouble. In contrast with this, the way of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn. Have you, have you ever been scared at night in the dark and then had the truly wonderful experience of having a gleam of light show you the way? To get light when you are in the dark can be very comforting and enriching. As the light gets steadily brighter, it lifts you up. And that is what the path of the righteous is like. The more God's people live with the word and do what is right, the more they become a light showing the way in this dark world. This image of light versus darkness is repeated throughout the Bible. In John 3 verse 19, 
the Lord Jesus spoke of himself as the light and those people who did evil as men who walked in darkness. However, Christ's verdict of these people who do evil is not only that they walk in the darkness, Christ says of them that they love the darkness and refuse to come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Contrast this with our passage, where the Lord Jesus not only speaks of himself as the light, but he also says that his followers are the light of the world. How do we, come, how do we become the light? God spells it out in John 12, verse 35 and following. Then Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he's going. Put your trust in the light while you have it so that you may become sons of light. It is when we walk in the light and put our trust in the light that we become sons of light and that we give off the light ourselves. Reality is that the only way that people around us will come to understand that there is a different approach to life than the destructive patterns that they may have learned from family members, friends, or society is by seeing it from children of God. People need to see the light in order to come to the light and leave the darkness behind them. And so Christ says, let your light shine, live by faith, show people who God is so that they may be drawn to him bring glory to him, and share in the blessings that he gives his people. All of this raises a question. How do you let your light shine? If you are being salty or you are letting your light shine, what exactly does that mean that you're doing in real life? What is the call of our text, beloved? This is an important question. There are many people who understand this passage to mean that we all have to talk about Jesus Christ in our conversations with others. Now we must admit that speaking about Christ is an important part of our Christian witness. In Colossians 4 verses 5 and 6 it says, Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Further in 1 Peter 3 verse 15 it says, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give you the reason for the hope that you have. To give the reason for the hope that you have, excuse me. And yet, we should appreciate that this is not the focus of the passage that we have open before us today. In Matthew 5, the Lord Jesus shows us that there is more to letting your light shine than just your speech. It says in verse 16 of our passage, In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The first way that we are to be a light in this world is by doing good deeds, living a life of faith. It is about what you do in the first place, brothers and sisters. So what do we have to do? The context of our text answers that question for us. The calling to be a light in the world does not come as an isolated statement by the Lord Jesus. He tells us to be a light, as a part of his Sermon on the Mount. In the rest of the sermon, he spells out how we are to be a light in the world. In the first place, we are a light when we live in accordance with the Beatitudes that we just read together. We shine like lights when we live as people who are destitute in ourselves and are completely dependent on the Lord for everything in our life. We shine like the first gleam of dawn when we mourn over our sins and instead really pursue with all of our hearts 
whatever is good and right. We show the way to others in this world when we are humble instead of self-assertive and proud. When we are gracious and show mercy to others, especially those who don't deserve it, then pe people see something of the character of God being manifest in us. If we are pure of heart, if we have sincerity, honor, and integrity in our dealings with others, and if we are wholeheartedly devoted to God, then we become luminous witnesses to others of how to live in this dark world. If we are peacemakers, if we have a heart that is filled with love and kindness and gentleness, self-control and faithfulness, and if we in this way promote peace and harmony, then we become beacons of light and stability that others are drawn to. And if we bear up under unjust suffering in a good way, then again, others see that, and they are drawn to us and to the Spirit of God who lives in us. The most powerful witness that you can give to others of the glory of God is by living in accordance with His Spirit. If you take these Beatitudes to heart and you consistently live by them, then you should become a beacon of light in a dark world, a lighthouse in this fog-shrouded world. People look to you to find their way as they try to make sense of their own lives. Putting into practice the rest of the Sermon of the Mount leads to other good deeds, which leads us to being lights and salt in the world. Later in this sermon, Christ calls us not to get angry with others, but to be reconciled with our brother. He calls us not to look at a woman lustfully, nor to divorce our husband or wife. He calls us to be true to our word and not fight against those who commit evil against us. He calls us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. We are to be faithful in prayer and trust in God instead of worrying about all kinds of different things. Do you understand what the Lord has in mind for us, brothers and sisters? It is when you live with the Lord that his spirit dwells in you richly and you become like a bright light shining in a dark place. Then people are drawn to you, but really it's not you that they are drawn to. It's the spirit of God who's shining through you. When we walk closely with the Lord, then God receives the glory through us. So, the message of our text is, let your light shine to the world by doing good deeds. The Bible gives us many examples of what this looks like in real life. In the first verses of 1 Peter 3, the Apostle Peter applies this principle to Christian women. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. In that situation where many women came to faith before their husbands had, the Lord was exhorting them to win their husbands over, not just by preaching at them, but through their deeds. The most important thing, God says, is to submit to their husbands and live pure and reverent lives. That was the most powerful witness those Christian women could give. In Titus 2, the Apostle Paul is instructing Titus about how relationships should function in the church. He tells them in everything, Set an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, serious, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. A critical part of being a light in this world is setting a good example for others to follow. 
It is when we live closely with the Lord and the Spirit of God manifests himself powerfully in our lives that we become the light of the world. In Hebrews 13, verse 7, this is applied to the office bearers. It reads there, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Note well what we are called to do here, brothers and sisters. We are called to consider the outcome of the lives of our leaders. The calling here is not to think about their words, but about their lives. How did the gospel get worked out in their lives? How did life turn out for these men who trusted in God, who relied on him for help, and who served him faithfully? If you consider the lives of the leaders who walked faithfully with the Lord, although they did have trials in life, in the end, there was comfort and peace and joy. They truly had a good life. In the same way, you, brother elders and brother deacons, are to be a light to the congregation. As Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 verse 12, you should set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. The members of the congregation should be able to look at your lifestyle and see what it actually looks like in real life to live by faith. If you understand that the Lord intends to use our lives as a witness to others in this world, then you also realize why he is so troubled by hypocrisy. People who are hypocritical, those who put on a good show and pretend to walk in the light, but in reality their lives are filled with darkness, lead others astray. And so the Lord has very harsh words for hypocrites. In the first verses of Matthew 6, he tells us not to do, as our, act, not to do our acts of righteousness before men, just to be seen by them. Instead, any good we do ought to be done in secret, so that our Father who is in heaven may see it. And then in Matthew 23, he brings down his strongest words of condemnation against the Pharisees, whose sole intention was to make a good impression on others. God wants us to love him from the heart, not pretending. He wants genuine service, not hypocrisy. He wants authentic worship, not just a good show. Otherwise, people will be led astray. When people look at us, they are to see what an incredibly rich and beautiful thing it is to love the Lord and to walk with him. People should be able to see from your life that the laws of the Lord are good and that there is deep joy in walking in his ways. They should experience in your life something of the character of God. From your dealings with them, they should understand that our Lord is a God who cares deeply for others, who does good towards others, who is compassionate when people fail, and who is patient with weakness. They should also understand something of God's justice and his wisdom. When people look at our lives, they should stand in awe at the God that we serve. Is this something that is happening in your life? Are you a light in this world, brothers and sisters? Do the people who you work alongside of and have dealings with respect you because of your upstanding lifestyle? Are you someone who brings peace and stability and joy to the people around you? Is your life so full of good deeds that your Father in heaven is receiving praise by the way that you live? Maybe the best way to see if you really are a light in this world is to consider what sort of impression you are leaving behind you. Do your children, your spouse, your parents, and your brothers and sisters look to you to try to understand how they should be living their own lives?
Now we'll talk about why we are to be a witness. Do you know why it is so important that we are light in this world? The Lord answers that question in our text. He says, let your light shine so that men may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. Our Heavenly Father wants to use, wants to use us to be a blessing to others so that they too would know and praise him. Ultimately, when people see the light in us and realize that we are not the source of the light ourselves, but just sons of the light, then they will be drawn to the true source of light. God wants to use us to bring others to Christ so that those others may also share in the riches of his son. This is not a new thing. The Israelites in the Old Testament had the task of bearing witness to the light. From Deuteronomy 4, we learn that it was the Lord's will that when nations saw the Israelites living in obedience to the law of God, they would marvel at the Lord's wisdom and majesty. God worked this out more explicitly in Exodus 19, verse 6, when he said that Israel was to be a kingdom of priests to him. Now you all know that the task of a priest was to reconcile the sinner to God. The priest stood as a mediator, taking a sacrifice from a person and bringing it to the Lord. In Exodus 19, when he says that they were to be a kingdom of priests, what he was talking about in that passage is that the whole nation, sorry, what he was talking about in that passage is the whole nation, not just the priests. Just as the priests in Israel had the task of reconciling the people to the Lord, so the nation of Israel had the task of reconciling the rest of the nations to the Lord. This is a theme that the Lord develops throughout the whole of the Old Testament. Abraham was told that all nations would be blessed through him, Genesis 18, verse 8. When you read through the genealogy of the Lord Jesus, we're told of four women, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, all of whom had been grafted into Israel from foreign nations. In this way, the Lord is foreshadowing what he has in store after the coming of Christ. In Isaiah 49, we are told that the Lord says it is not enough that Israel is reconciled to him. He will send his servant as a light to the Gentiles so that he may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. The fact is that the Lord has always intended to use his people to draw others from many different nations to himself. This reaches full expression after the ascension of our Lord Jesus into heaven and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church. Then the word was to go out to all peoples. And so here in Matthew 5, we're told that the church today has the task and the function of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. We are to be a light in this world. Those people who don't know the Lord should be drawn to our Father through us so that the Lord may receive the praise and glory that he is due. The Apostle Peter drives home our task in our reading for this morning. He applies the words of Exodus 19, which were spoken of by the nation of Israel to the church of the dispersion. Starting at 1 Peter 2, verse 9, he says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Our task, brothers and sisters, is to, be ref is to reflect the light of the Lord. People around us should marvel at the attitudes and perspectives we have and the good deeds that we do. This is a central part of our purpose in this world. If you need a reminder of this, brothers and sisters, you might be helped by reading this text over from time to time. Just think about what your, text, what your task is when you read or hear this text. 
In many ways, it is very daunting to think that we have to be a light in the world. The truth of our situation is that we do not always live such exemplary lives. Sometimes we feel like hypocrites. If people really knew the thoughts of our hearts, they would realize there is a lot of darkness in us and not a lot of light. This is true for every one of us, brothers and sisters. By nature, we are evil. But that's not where the Lord leaves us. He is determined to use us as his witnesses. And to that end, he is busy changing us by the powerful working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. He changes us from people who live for the sinful desires of our hearts into people who live for him. In the end, we are witnesses because that is God's sovereign good, goodwill. Do you know what will happen if you live this way? If you live a life of good deeds so that other people also witness the glory of the Lord through you, you will more and more stand out in this world as a sore thumb. We live in a godless time when people seek to take glory for themselves. We see that in professional sports or in show business. Everyone wants the glory, but the glory belongs to the Lord, brothers and sisters. Instead of seeking to claim it for ourselves, our Father has called us to be a light in the world so that by our good deeds, his name receives all the glory. If you really think about it, you know that we have been given an incredible position. Is it not wonderful that the Lord has determined to use sinners like you and me to accomplish his purpose and to bring glory to his name? We should be honored to be given this role. So let your light shine, brothers and sisters. Let us make every effort that our lives and the church, the company of believers to which we belong, are beacons of light so that the world around us, wandering in darkness, sees the glory of the Lord. Amen.